begin with a short prayer. Father, death is the last enemy. Help us to see that it has even been overcome by the powerful resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. There's, there's really two very different ways in, in American culture that, that this idea of death and the fear of death are, are dealt with. And we're going to hear about both of them. The first way is, is we hide it from ourselves. We, we export it and outsource it to, to nursing homes and, and funeral homes. And when we absolutely have to deal with it, we, we dress it up and we make it look pretty with with makeup, and then and then we lay our dead to rest in in beautiful places with with tranquil names like like Forest Home and Haven. That's what we do when we absolutely have to think about it. But most of the time, we we decide to not think about it at all. We we distract ourselves, and and Americans are very good at that. In fact. One author who, who deals with this American phenomenon, this refusal, this absolute refusal to think about death, he, he wrote this. His name is Sheldon Solomon. He says, Americans are best in the world at burying existential anxieties under a mound of French fries and a trip to Walmart to save a nickel on a lemon and a flamethrower. Now, it's pretty tough for, for New Yorkers to bury their existential realities like death, like fear of death, with a trip to Walmart. But I think we can understand what he's saying. That Americans will eat or shop in an effort to distract themselves from thinking about death. So that's option number one, and this is what the majority of our culture does today. We just refuse, we distract ourselves from thinking about death. But at the same time, a countercultural movement has begun to deliberately call to mind the fear of death. Wasn't too long ago that just across the border in Brooklyn, the border of Queens, that a group of young people got together in a local cafe to call to mind death. And, and they began their meeting with a cup of coffee and cookies shaped in the form of a tombstone. Their leader was a life coach and someone who liked to work in hospice care. She was always dealing with death. And, and they brought up discussion questions like, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to do before you die? What do you fear about death? And they discussed this. It's called, have you heard about this? It's called Death Cafe. And this is really starting to happen in the big cities around the country, and this is their objective. I want to read this to you. It's very simple. To increase awareness of death with a view to helping people make the most of their finite lives. In other words, 
We're going to eat cookies shaped in the form of tombstones. We're going to think about death so that we seize every moment of our lives because we're going to die someday. And so that we love like we've never loved before because this person sitting next to us, they might die tomorrow. You, you might think that this is sort of a new ultra-hip city thing that's, that's happening, but it's really not this kind of thinking is actually really old. It's called Stoicism. And it was Epistatus who, who said this. This is back in the 3rd century B.C., an ancient Stoic philosophy. He wrote, what harm is it just when kissing your little child to say, tomorrow you will die? What's the harm in that? He said. What's, so while the majority of Americans are are burying existential realities under a mound of french fries and a, and a trip to Walmart. There's this growing movement among Americans to, to call to mind death as you're, as you're kissing your little child goodnight. On the one hand, it seems that the first option would cause a problem with the American way of thought. And, and the second option for dealing with death, well, it just seems a little bit cruel and maybe even morbid. You know, there's good reason for us to be thinking about this this morning. It's not coming out of nowhere. Our lessons draw us to, to think about death and life and, and resurrection. We saw in our, our gospel lesson that the the widow's dead son was raised to life by Jesus Christ himself. We saw in the Old Testament lesson that God demonstrating his power over death by, by raising another young son back to life. And the Apostle Paul, he's going to famously pen, and I think this is worth memorizing for you, for me to live is Christ and to die is is gain. So those are our lessons this morning, but it's not just that that makes us think about death and life and resurrection here this morning. It's also the fact that there's been a wave of people in this congregation who have lost loved ones. You notice that? Somebody's putting up on Facebook, seems like too often, a loved one whom the Lord Jesus called home to heaven. And it seems like just about every other day I'm calling or writing an email to comfort someone who, who lost a grandma or a sister or a mom or a dad. And so the Lord Jesus is calling this to our mind with these lessons and with our life experience that we need to deal with the realities of, of death and its partner sin. But not in a morbid, cruel way, but in a way that is hopeful and joyful. So listen to what the Apostle Paul says here in Philippians chapter 1, verse, starting at verse 18, halfway through it, so 18b. Here's what he writes to the Philippians. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the hope and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that 
I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. This is a man with time on his hands. He, he, he's sitting in a jail cell, and he's beginning to muse. He's musing about the possibilities of his future life, and he's thinking, you know, two things might happen. I might die, he says. I might die by execution, but on the other hand, I might live. And he's thinking those things through, and this is this is sort of a little soliloquy in the book of, of Philippians. It's, it's one of the most personal things that he ever writes. You can notice that with the, the, the use of the first-person pronouns, the word I. So he's getting very personal, and he's thinking, he's musing about these two possibilities, and we're going to think about with him, first of all, the possibility that he might die. And this is what he says about that. He, he writes, to die is gain. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is, is better by far. So as far as thinking about his own possible death, he says, that's a gain for me. And he says, that's, that's better. And not just better, he says it's better, quote, by far. <laughs> There's no comparison for the Apostle Paul because then he gets to go and be with Jesus. the one whose hands were pierced, the one who rose from the dead, the one ascended on high, then he gets to go and feel the warm embrace of Jesus, see the Father face to face. He says, that is a gain. That is a profit. That's better, not just by a little bit, but by far. He's also musing about the second possibility. He says, I might actually... Live through this thing. And listen to his comments on that. He doesn't complain. He doesn't express regret at the fact that he might live. Instead, he says, for me to live is Christ. And then he explains what that means. He says, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So for the Apostle Paul... Life wasn't about comfort. It wasn't about achievement. It wasn't about family. It wasn't about power. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about status. It was all about Christ. And he said, if I'm going to go on living, he says, well, that's necessary. Not for me, it's necessary for you. So living, what is living all about for the Apostle Paul? It's about Christ, it's about 
service to others, isn't it? So he, as, he, as he's weighing these, this possibility, he's musing about this, he says, dying, that's better. He says, living, that's necessary. The widow's son, whom Jesus raised from the dead, would understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about. I think a lot of times when we when we read the like a story like the gospel lesson, we especially as parents we identify with the widow who lost her young son, and we say, "How nice! Jesus gave back her young son alive." But have you ever thought about that story from the perspective of the young son? He had had a life that was full of sickness. It must have been rather brutal and short. And then he closed his eyes in death and he opened them up to what is truly life. And he met his father. And and he experienced the warm embrace of Jesus and the working of the power of the Holy Spirit in his life in heaven itself. And then when he hears, as if from a thousand million miles away, if you will, and he hears Jesus say, Young man, get up. He says, he must have been thinking, I don't want to. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be with my father. And as he wakes up to the rude and brutal reality of life inside of a coffin, and he sees the people around him wiping tears from their eyes, he must have thought, for me, dying, that's a game. That's better. But, but living, well, that's necessary. And it's not necessary for me. It's necessary for my mom. Because my mom, well, she, she needs me. She needs me. Our culture has trouble and it struggles with this idea of death. On the one hand, we said before that it, that it hides death. It does everything that it can to to hide death underneath underneath French fries and Walmart. And, and some people are actually doing the opposite in a very morbid way. They're they're dwelling on death and the possibility that that maybe the child that we love will will die. And, and both of these approaches is missing something. Both of these approaches are actually missing someone. You see, the problem with these perspectives on death is that they don't include in their thinking at all the only person who has, by his own power, overcome death, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that, so as Christians, that's how we, we would critique those perspectives. They are missing Jesus. It's so obvious. And the Apostle Paul, he understood this. Gordon Fee, commenting on these verses from Philippians, he said, the eschatology of the Apostle Paul is thoroughly Christological. So let let me put this in another way. Let me translate that for you. When the Apostle Paul thought about death, when he thought about the future, he always thought about Jesus 
So, so for him, it, it, was, it was actually a very simple thing. It's almost like a mathematical equation. My death plus Jesus equals gain. It was very simple. He just added Jesus into the question. In the equation, he said, my death plus Jesus equals gain. And, and that's the Apostle Paul's encouragement for us here this morning, isn't it? That we would add Jesus into the equation. My death plus Jesus equals gain. But maybe we should go farther than that. The death of a loved one who dies in Jesus' name plus Jesus equals gain to them. Right? And a happy reunion for us someday. We, we could go even farther than that. My, my sin plus Jesus equals a cross for him and forgiveness of sins for me. But we could get, go even further than that. This is, this is about Christian living. You see, see, Christianity is firmly based in the brutal realities of sin and death. There's no doubt about that. But it's also rooted in Christ. So we could say this. My situation plus Jesus equals what? Can we say glory? Whatever you're going through right now, add Jesus into the equation. It's going to equal something different, isn't it? So this is, this is an application not just for dealing with death, but for all of life. My life in a fallen world plus Jesus equals something triumphant. Something glorious for the Christian and for his church. And that's exactly how the Apostle Paul lived. And that's exactly how he died, too. You see, if you want to understand the Apostle Paul and his motivation and his mission, you have to go to these verses. He lived with reckless abandonment. And he, he carried out his mission that Jesus gave to him with great boldness. He risked his life. And then he died with no fear, with great hope, and with great joy. How did he do that? Because he understood this one truth. Because for him, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 